is what it says in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing them with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders. And then he walked away. Elijah left the oxen standing there. And he ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go kiss my mother and my father goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what has just happened here. Think about what has just been done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them, and he used the wood from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant, sometimes following Christ, Sometimes following the name of Jesus and believing in the power of that takes us giving up something. And sometimes it takes us having to leave what we know is comfortable and reliable and trusting in that name of Jesus. But he has no rival and he has no equal. And that is the name, the only name that we give any credit to here tonight. Would you please uh, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable to raise your hand as I pray. Father, we need a touch tonight. We need you to shake us a little bit. Holy Spirit, I believe that you're about to do something powerful through your word. And I believe that you're about to challenge us and change some people's lives here in the moment tonight because of the name of Christ, the transforming, powerful name that that has, if we are only willing to take our hands off the plow and surrender our lives to Jesus. And again, we, we lift up these prayers, these, these important things in our church's life, and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would have your hand upon those things. God, that you would have your hand upon us now here in this place, in this moment. You've ordained these people to be here for this time. God, that we would open up our ears and our heads and most importantly our hearts to be challenged and changed by you tonight. And it's in the powerful, rivalless, unequal name of Jesus, his church all spoke up and said, Amen. 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 You guys can take a seat. Can we give a hand to uh, the worship team for leading us? Thank you guys so much. We love you and we appreciate you. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited um, to be uh, given the word tonight. And I'm super excited and I'm ready to go. And I sincerely apologize if I talk too fast, but I truly believe that there is something happening in hearts tonight. I, I do believe that. And I hope, like I said, that you can begin to open yourself up to what God has for you tonight. And so we are in week four of a series called Imagine Again. And basically what we're doing um, is we're reimagining ministry at Crosspoint and reimagining what our church can do in the city of Fredericton. And um, we're really happy that you guys have been, it's been good, right? All right. Thank you, the two people. Um, all right. That leads me into this. You guys have been really quiet during the word lately. 
Like, I mean really quiet. Like, I, I think that we've seen some of Mark's most powerful preaching in the last few weeks. And I don't know if you're just contemplative or you're just thinking about it, but I want you guys to be excited about God's word. And I will give you a warning. If you are here to see Lennett Anderson next weekend, if you don't respond to this man, there is something wrong with you. He is one of the most powerful and passionate and exciting preachers you will ever hear on this stage. Like, I guarantee that. And so if you guys don't respond to the word, he'll let you know about it. And he will eat you up. So here's what we're going to do is I'm going to let you practice on me tonight. If I say something that resonates with your heart or something that just makes sense in your head, it's not mine, this is what God has for us, then I want you to clap your hands or say amen or say something. This thing, this thing is powerful and life-changing and you need to sound like it. All right? Good. Let's start. Um... Just a few housekeeping notes. I, I talked about Lennett, and, and Pastor John talked about Lennett coming um, next weekend. That's going to be a huge thing. Another really important thing about next week is that we're going to be having a commissioning prayer for our South Campus team. For Pastor John and Kelsey and for Emily and Brandon, who are our, our, our campus leaders, we're going to be praying over them as a church at the end of every service, and we need you to be a part of that. If you firmly believe that we want to send out these missionaries to the south side of Fredericton to make Jesus famous, we need your prayer support. And so we want you to lay hands on them and pray for them in a powerful way. You guys can do that, right? Good. Uh, as I mentioned uh, already, uh, we do. We have some friends in Haiti right now. And uh, is, is, is Chris here? Chris Orleski? He's around here somewhere. His wife and kids are in Haiti right now, and he can't go there to see them. There's a problem. And so we need to be praying for Chris and for Joe and for their kids. And we need to be praying for the country of Haiti. They just went through something that's incredibly devastating. And so we want to make sure that we're praying for Haiti and for those people. In one month, we have a team going to Haiti. Their, their, their plans have completely changed because of what's happened. Their itinerary looks completely different. In fact, they have no idea what God is going to have them do. And so you need to continue to pray for this team. You need to continue to give towards this team so that they can actually go and be a part of, of helping somehow, even though we don't know what it is. And so we want you guys to um, just be praying for that and praying for our people, praying for our team. One more little housekeeping um, bit, and my sincere, I sincerely apologize for being the one that has to announce this, but... Um, Drew Ingram is the chair of our church board, and uh, he's just an incredible, incredible human being. And he, he spoke to me and said, you have to announce this. And um, now, Drew may look like a cuddly teddy bear, but there's a little bit of Kodiak in him somewhere. And so when he says, you need to do this, I was like, okay. Um, but apparently, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and that's super awkward for me to say that, but I have to because Drew asked me to very kindly. Um, and so apparently there's a basket at the Hello Desk that you can throw some gift cards or something in. There, I said my piece. I've done my things. Drew here? No, that's good. I didn't have to say it if I didn't want to, but thank you. Thank you, witnesses. Um, have you ever had a situation where you've had to make a split-second decision? I mean, like you just had to make a split decision on the spot. No advice, no counsel. You didn't have time to crunch the numbers, and you had no one to talk to you. Just in a moment, 
you just had to make a split-second decision. Anybody, everybody can think of something like that? And so maybe it was a date. Maybe someone asked you to go out, and they were like, hey, do you want to go out with me? Check yes or no on the little piece of paper, right? We've all had that in elementary. Or, or maybe it was a job or, or a promotion. It was like, look, this is what I'm offering you. This is what your responsibilities are. Do you want this? I need an answer right here and right now. Or maybe it was you buying your first house, right? And there was this house that you wanted to buy, and um, you put an offer in it, but all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of other offers, and your realtor comes to you and says, look, there's multiple bids for this house, and if you want this house, you need to pay this much money, and you need to make a decision right here and right now. Those decisions are hard. I remember when I was 16, I had my license for about six or nine months, and I was in a car uh, driving with some friends, and uh, we were coming from a golf course. Don't ask me why in the name of Jesus Christ I was at a golf course, um, but I was because I hate golf. Um, but we were driving back from uh, a golf course, and uh, there was only one way we knew how to get back, which was on an old dirt road. And as we were driving on this dirt road, I remember this hill. And at the very top of this hill was a really sharp turn. And this old dirt road had loose gravel and it had just started to rain. And so uh, I wasn't driving recklessly or, or speeding or anything like that. But as I came to the top of this hill, there was a rabbit that jumped out in front of me. And I had a split second to try and decide, do I want to hit this rabbit and have some stew later on? Or do I want to try to avoid this rabbit? Well, I chose the latter and decided to avoid the rabbit, but as soon as I swerved out of the way, I lost complete control of the car, and we began to fishtail, and we went down the hill, and I wrapped my, my white Dodge Neon around a telephone pole. This is a true story. It was just devastating. And, and luckily, thank God, nobody was hurt. We had uh, some friends with some cracked ribs, but there was, uh, it, was, it looked a lot worse than it was. And so I had to make this split-second decision. I want to I show you guys what I mean. Um, Alan, come on up here for a sec. I, I just want to um, show you guys what I mean. And so what we're going to do is I want you to stand right there, Alan. Give a hand for Alan Hines. I feel like a magician or something, like I'm going to start juggling. And so here's what I'm going to do. All I'm going to do is simply throw this ball to Alan, and he's going to catch it. Okay? Are you ready? Think. Right. Like two out of three ain't bad, so don't feel... Your wife is watching, so the pressure's on, all right? Are you ready? So here's number one. Easy, right? Can you give him a hand? Come on now. All right. Here's number two. Ooh, a little higher, huh? I tricked it. Maybe I'll go a little lower. Maybe I'll bounce it this time. He caught all three. Isn't that good? Like, all right. Now let's make this a little more interesting. I have an egg. An actual egg, okay? He, didn't, he doesn't know that we're doing this. And so, yeah, he knew that was going to be a catch to it. Um, this is a legit egg. And um, I basically, um, I had it this morning. And um, I didn't actually. I'm not a chicken, guys. Come on, it was a joke. Um, so here we are. We've got this egg. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to throw him the egg, and we're going to see what happens. One, two, ah, wait. A little different here. And so here's what I would say to you, Alan. In this moment, it would be my recommendation that for the sake of this sermon illustration, 
and for the sake of my job and my future here at Crosspoint, and for the sake of your uh, wonderful shirt, that when I throw this to you, it would be my recommendation that you drop the, uh, the tennis balls to receive this, because arguably this is more fragile, correct? This is more fragile. It would take more effort to make sure that this doesn't break, even though his hands are full. So it would be my recommendation, for the sake of this analogy, that you drop the balls when I throw this. One, two, three, get it. Look at this guy. Thank you, thank you very much. Actually, you know what, you can keep this egg as a thank you. All right, so here's my point. Here's my point, church, is that sometimes, when, when it's time for us to receive something in our lives, we need to let go of something else. Or in order to receive that egg in a very safe, in a very comfortable way, we had to drop, Alan had to drop the tennis balls. He had to drop something else in order to receive it. And so uh, all of us have this call on our lives, or all of us have this thing, this next step that Jesus wants to jump into in our lives. We all have a next step, a next thing for us. God is calling each one of us to something new all the time. But in order to receive that, sometimes we need to let go of some other things. Are we awake? We know what we're talking about? Good. And so we believe as a church that we, we believe that we're a church on the move. We believe that God has called us to be a big part of revival in the city of Fredericton. That's the call on our hearts. And, and when I say that, I don't mean that braggadociously, to use a Trumpism. Um, I, 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 mean that, I mean that we're going to be a big part of revival. That doesn't mean that we're going to be the biggest church or the best church or have the most people or have the most money. That's not what I'm saying. But we do believe, and it has been prophetically spoken over the staff, that we are going to be a big part of revival in the city of Fredericton. I'm glad you're here because you are a part of that too. You hear me? And so here's the thing, in order for us to receive whatever it is that God has for us next, there have got to be some things that we are willing to let go of. In order to receive something from God, the next call on our life or the next step in our journey with Jesus, we need to be willing to let go of some things. And so our text today, which is in 1 Kings 19, tells a perfect story of what it means to let go of something in order to receive something else. And so if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings 19. And um, all throughout 1 Kings, we hear this story about a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah is, is arguably one of the most um, famous prophets of the Old Testament. And he uh, is basically at the end of his ministry around this time. He's getting old. And God is, is saying, look... I want you to imagine again. I want you to, to look ahead to the ministry uh, of your future. And so Elijah basically goes into the wilderness and he has a conversation with God. And God says, I want you to find the next prophet of Israel. I want you to find a student, an apprentice, a young Padawan, however you want to put it. I want you to find the next person. And this is what happens in 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha. Okay, there's, I know that's confusing. Elijah is the old guy. Shah is the younger guy. 
he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now, there's a lot of things here that are said about Elisha in just two sentences. The first thing is that he was a hard worker. I mean, this guy worked his, his fingers to the bone. He was a hard worker. He, he was a laborer. He was a blue-collar Israeli, right? He was a guy who um, spent his life plowing fields. That was his job. And it says that he had 12 teams of oxen, which means that he had at least 24 of those things. And if you have that many oxen, you're probably doing pretty well for yourself. He, he was a successful young farmer. If you have 24 oxen, you probably have a lot of land to plow, like a lot. And so he has done quite well for himself. He's successful in what he does. And not only that, but he's probably at the end of a work day. It says that he was plowing with the 12th team, which means that his day was almost up. He was on the last field with his last pair, and he's just going down the finish line. And all of a sudden, this old guy comes up behind him and completely changes his day. So we know a lot about him through those two sentences. It says, Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. This is extremely important. And get this. A cloak was not just an article of clothing. Some translations call it his mantle. He passed his mantle on to him. And so a cloak wasn't just a, a, a piece of fabric. It was something that shielded you from the weather. A cloak was, was your bedding. A cloak was a sitting mat. A, a cloak was something that you would give someone a pledge to say, I owe you a debt. You will take this until I pay it back. A cloak was something that you would tear up when you were grieving. So basically what we get here is the cloak symbolizes someone's life. The cloak it basically represents someone's whole world. Everything is in that piece of clothing. And so Elijah takes it and he puts it over the shoulders of Elisha, which is basically he was transferring his ministry and his authority and his leadership over to this young, successful farm boy. Everything of Elijah's life was wrapped up in that cloak. And he simply puts it on this kid's shoulders and he walks away. And so in this moment, this is Elisha's split-second decision. Do I leave what I've built do I leave what is comfortable and reliable and a sure thing, or do I follow this complete stranger? And there has not been one word spoken between the two yet. He simply comes up and he covers him in a cloak. And so he has a split-second decision. Do I follow this guy, or do I go to what is comfortable and what I know? what's right here in front of me. And now this calling is vastly different from what he knows. He knows farming, he knows agriculture, he knows plowing, he knows oxen. He probably doesn't know a whole lot about being the mouthpiece of heaven, about being the prophet of the Old Testament. 
And so this is a huge moment in Elisha's life. And so this is what happens in verse 20. Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah. That's huge. He left the oxen standing there. And so we're not dealing with tennis balls and eggs here. I get that. But he literally took his hands off of the plow. And he didn't finish he, he, didn't, he didn't finish the rest of his day's work. He didn't finish the row of plowing. He literally took his hands off the plow and ran after Elijah, which is to say he let go of what he knew and ran after God's calling. Do you hear me, church? To let go of what you know, to let go of what is safe and comfortable, and to literally run after what God is asking you to do. I'm not saying that's easy. In fact, that's probably quite difficult. But in this split second, he decided that he was going to let go and take his hands off the plow and run after God's new call on his life. He's leaving the American dream to run after God's dream. This is what happens in the rest of verse 20. After he runs after Elijah, he said to him, first, uh, this is, uh, he says, first let me go and kiss my mother and father goodbye, and then I will go with you. Which is quite interesting, because Elijah is not running back to his parents to ask for permission. He basically just wants to give them a proper goodbye and make sure that his affairs are all in order before he leaves. He's not running to his parents to ask for permission. Do you know why? It's because God's will for your life trumps the opinions of any man. What God is asking you to do is more important than what your parents or your spouse or your kids or whoever says. That's just the way it is. God's will for your life trumps the opinions of man. And so he's not going to ask permission. He's just going and blessing them before he goes. And Elijah replies to him, he says, go on back, but... But think about what I have just done for you. Which is to say, Elijah was not being forceful. Elijah was not being persuasive. He was just saying, look, I have given you the opportunity to do what is right. To do what God is asking you to do. So think very closely about your next few steps because I have essentially just changed your life. Not necessarily for the good of your humanness, but for the good of the kingdom. And God will never force his will on us, ever. He doesn't do it that way. He still preserves the liberty of man's free will. And so when he gives us some change or transformation in our lives, or he puts his will into our trajectory, he's not forcing us into it. He's saying you have the choice to make the decision. You, you have the free will to be obedient to what I'm asking you to do right now. And that's huge. But God's will is always better. The grass may not look greener on the other side, but it always is. Because God's promises are true. God does not give us his will in order to harm us. It might put us in danger, but they're for the good of his people. 
This is what happens in verse 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Here's what I love most about this story. As he goes back and gives his mom a kiss. And then he goes and stands in front of the life that he's built for himself. He stands in front of his oxen and in front of his plow and in front of his 12 pieces of land. And what does he do? He destroys and eliminates it all. Isn't that crazy? And which is basically a commitment to saying, I am following after what God does. Not only am I doing that, but I am going to eliminate any recognition of my old life. This is 2 Corinthians 5. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new... Good, you're still with me. The old is gone. The new life has become. And he, he looks at his old life. And he looks at the possible new life. And he becomes a new creation as he takes the plow, the wood from the plow, and he makes a fire. And then he takes all of these oxen and he puts them on the fire and he provides his whole community with hamburgers. That's commitment. That is saying yes to Jesus. That is saying yes to the will of God. That is saying yes to what God has for you. The change and the transformation that he wants to put in your life, that is true commitment. Because when you surrender everything in your life, that's not rejection. In fact, it's celebration. And so what he does is that he provides food for his whole community. And he says, look what God has done in me and through me and wants to do all around me. And so they, he celebrates with his community. Because surrender to God's will is not rejection. Surrender is celebration. And that's why when we see new people come to Christ, and maybe later on in the service there will be some people, when that happens, when we see surrender, we get excited. There's celebration involved in that. When someone gives their life to Christ, or someone follows what God is asking them to do, there's celebration in that. And so all of a sudden he goes out into the community and he provides them with a huge feast and food that would last them weeks. All because he has become a sower of the seed, and now he is a sower of the word of God. This is a huge moment in his life. And so the question for us is, are you willing to leave what is good for what is greater? Are you willing to bypass what is good in your life for what is greater? For a greater purpose and a greater meaning and a greater calling from God. Are you, are you willing to leave what is good to what is greater? Are you willing to take your hands off the plow, all that you know, all that is comfortable and safe and reliable? Are you willing to leave that behind for what is greater? That's not easy. And so let's talk about some of these plows for a few minutes. And I'm going to get a little offensive to most of you here in a moment. Because we all have next steps. Whether you've been a Christian for five days or you've been a Christian for, for 50 years, we all have next steps. 
There's no kind of pinnacle of holiness that we can meet that we are just like Christ. We need to strive to be just like Christ, but there's no, no, no pinnacle. We all have this next step. And so maybe your next step is saying yes to Jesus. Maybe your next step is, is leaving that job to go to something else. Maybe your next step is having a conversation with somebody. Whatever it is, in order to receive that, we need to be willing to let go of something else. Do you hear me? So we need to take our hands off some of these plows. So let's talk about some of these plows. And this is where I think that God does some of his heaviest work, that convicting work, when we hear something that resonates with us and we don't want to fight it, that's what we're going to deal with tonight, all right? Some of, that, some of those plows are sin, and that can be bitterness towards somebody, that could be anger or deceit or unforgiveness, that could be idolatry, which is putting things in front of our relationship with Jesus putting certain things, objects, whatever it is, on a pedestal. Sin can be one of those plows that we need to take our hands off of and then run after what God has, is calling us to. One of the, the plows that we need to take our hands off of is this thought of the way that church used to be. Remember the way church used to be? Remember when there was a sign seating in church. Remember when the volume and, and the, the genre of music was always the same? Remember when the, the, the pastor preached a certain way? Remember when the church was led in this way? Remember that? Remember the way church used to be, the good old days? How about you get your head out of the way church used to be and get your head into what the church is doing now because it needs you. It needs you. It's dependent on you. And yet, we have our hands on this plow. Well, that's the way church used to be. That's what we used to do at church. But that's not what we do now. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to accomplish in you and around you and through you. And so we need to take our hands off that plow. Another thing is relationships. Some of us have these toxic relationships in our lives that are keeping us from our own faith. Some of us have these, we are in abusive relationships that are pulling us from a community that wants to care and love for us. And so we, we need to, to recognize those relationships and we need to separate ourselves from them in order to find what is next in our life, to find out what God wants for us. We need to be willing to let go of those relationships and be transformed and changed by what God wants for us next. That's hard. Some of us don't like cutting the cord on some relationships. And it's not saying that you have to do that forever, but in order to receive what God has for you, maybe you need to let go of the plow of some of those relationships. Some of us, some of us, our kids and our spouse are, are a plow that we need to let go of. Some of us just put our kids in, our, in a relationship with our spouse ahead of everything else in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong, please. I'm not saying that those are the most important. I'm not saying that those aren't the most important relationships in your life, because they are. Your spouse is the most important relationship in your life, and your kids are the most important relationships that you, as a spouse or as a single mom or a single dad or as a couple, need to nurture. 
Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we just we put our kids' needs in front of our own when it comes to what God is asking us to do. And that's hard. Well, I'm going to take my kids to sports, even though it's on Sunday morning. Well, that's why we created Saturday Night Church. Welcome. Right? And then people are like, yeah, but, my, but I'm just tired after a long week. Listen, your relationship with Jesus is still the most important thing in your life. But here's the thing. When you make Jesus the most important relationship in your life, all of a sudden, your relationship with your kids and your spouse changes. When you love Christ like Christ loves the church, when you love him and you nurture that relationship, all of a sudden, your spouse and your kids see that. And they begin to say, that's how I want to live. I want to love like my mom loves. I want to care for people like my dad cares for people because he loves Jesus. And, and when we put all of our eggs into the basket of our relationship with Jesus, all of the other relationships around us change drastically. And we need to take our hands off that plow and say, Jesus, do something in me so that I may love and live and have compassion on those people better in my life. Money. Money is a huge plow that we need to take our hands off. And so when God calls somebody to, to whatever it is, there are two reasons people are scared about it. One, because it's going to require money to do that. And two, it's because it's going to take all of the money that I have already have. But here's the thing. When it comes to, to following God's call in your life, God doesn't require your money. He requires your obedience. And there's a huge difference in that. Because when you surrender over your, your money and your wealth and your success and all that stuff, and when you take your hands off of that plow, all of a sudden God takes what you have and he multiplies it. And he blesses it. And he uses it. And, and you become generous with it. This is, a, this is a, a completely changing thought. God doesn't need your money so that you can do his will. He just needs your obedience. He needs a willing heart. Take your hands off of your money so that you can receive something new from God. Fear is another huge one. What will people say? What will, what will people think? How will my life be perceived if I give my life over to Christ? If I do this insane thing that he's asking me to do, if I have that conversation with that person, what will people think? But here's the important thing. is a fear of the unknown is the currency of man. Fear of a life without Jesus is a currency of heaven. And so we need to look at fear and wonder, do I trust God enough to jump into this? Or do I continue to have this spirit of fear in my life? And which just keeps holding me back from what God wants for me, how God wants to change my life. We need to take our hands off the plow of fear. And the last one is pride. This self-righteous attitude where I can do that. I don't need God's help to do it. Sure, God is calling me to this, but I think I know a better way. I think I know how I can do that without his help. It's that we need to let go of that plow of pride. And sure, you don't need God's will to be a good person. 
You don't need to follow God's will to do good for people. But you do need God's will to follow correctly after Jesus, to run after what he's calling you for, to, to, to jump into the change that he wants you to make. Jesus tackles this head-on in the book of Matthew. This is Matthew 10, starting at verse 32. He says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my, my Father in heaven. This is Jesus speaking, okay? Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I mean, people have heard this, and he's called the Prince of Peace, and he's the one who has come to bring uh, Israel back home, back to, he's bringing the kingdom back, and he's saying, look, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. But of course, he's speaking metaphorically. He's not saying I'm bringing conflict. He's not bringing fighting or discord. He's bringing a sword, which is the word of God. And if you read this, and if you look at this, and if you love this and learn this, there is some huge change that will happen in your life. This is the sword he's talking about. He's talking about that painful, often painful transformation that he's asking you to make in your life. He's asking you to be changed and transformed by the word of God. That is the sword he's talking about. And it's not always easy, church. It's hard. He's like, I'm not worried about peace. He says, I'm worried about change. I want change in your heart and in your life. I want you to follow hard after me. I want you to take the your hands off of the plow and chase after what I'm calling you to do. He continues in verse 37. If you love your, your father or your mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, that is to say, if you have your hands on the plow, if you keep your hands on what is comfortable, your hands on what is safe and reliable and a sure thing, if you keep your hands on the plow, that is to say, if you cling to your own life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I would say if you let go of the plow, chase after the guy who just threw his whole life, his whole authority, his whole leadership on your shoulders. If you're willing and ready to take your hands off of the plow and do what God is asking you to do, to make that change that he's asking you to change, church, something huge is going to happen. And when, when we all get to the place where we can admit what kind of plow we're holding on to, when we can honestly look at our lives and say, I'm holding on to this grudge, this relationship, this anger, this bitterness, this sin, this fear, this pride, whatever it is, if I don't take my hands off of it, God can't do a new work in me. 
And as soon as we take our hands off of that, God said, yes, now I can do something. And when we all, as a church, decide to get to that point, we will see revival happen in our city. We will see the love and the spirit of God just go over our city. And it will be because of you, because of your change, because of what you've done, because you're following after what God has for you. Jesus is asking you to give up everything because he'll never give up on you. He's got something bigger and better planned. Are you ready to leave what is good for what is greater? Are you ready to let go of some things in order to receive something else? Church, are you with me? Are you ready? Can we deal with some of this stuff? It's time to leave your comfort and go to the comforter. It's time to leave a a life living for a salary. It's time to lead a life of living with salvation. It's time to lead a a life uh, of of riches and not reward for what we have here on earth. Church, it is time to stop living a life of being guarded. It's time to live a life of being surrendered. It's time to live a life of what is great and not what is good. We need to take our hands off of what is comfortable, our hands off of what is reliable. It's time to take our hands off of what is safe, take our hands off of what is a sure thing, of the thing that is making our life go. It's time to let go of that and let God do what he wants to do in you. So here's the thing. Some of you, know exactly what that is right now and it's time for you to make your split second decision because our time is very little and and the people there's a lot of people who need you to change are depending on you to change your own life before you help change theirs and so there's some stuff we gotta deal with folks and this is a good place to start Not because it's church, but because you're surrounded by people who love you and want to care for you and want what's best for you and most importantly, want what's best for the city, which is the love of Christ to wash over Fredericton and beyond so that we can continue to make Jesus famous. And some of you know exactly what that that plow is for you tonight. And so we're going to sing about a God who knows exactly what to do. We're going to sing about God and God alone. He is the only one who can make those changes. He's the only one capable of changing a life. I can say some stuff that might help, but God changes a heart. God changes a life. And nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. There's no plow. There's no sin. There's no pride. There's no fear. There's no way that church used to be. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Sing, and I'm gonna shut up, and you guys are gonna deal with some stuff. We have altars here where some big business has been dealt with with God over the years. And as we sing, I'm gonna encourage you to make that split second decision to take your hands off the plow and chase after whatever it is that God is calling you to in your life. Some of us, some of us don't see our lives as good. And how how am I supposed to go from good to greater if, if I'm in a bad situation? Here's the good news. You can skip good. 
and go right to grave. If you need Jesus in your life and for the very first time you want to say yes to him and you want to make a bad situation greater, you can say yes to Jesus tonight. And if you truly believe that Christ uh, came to earth, he was the son of God and he put himself on a cross for you individually, for you specifically, if you believe that and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you can do that today. You can go from good to greater or you can go from bad to even greater because your life with Jesus is better. Amen, church? So here's what I want to do. I want you guys to close your eyes and everyone just close your eyes just for a moment. And if for the very first time there's someone here who needs to say yes to Jesus and you've never actually said it with your mouth, maybe you feel it in your heart. If there's someone here I'm going to count to three. All I want you to do is raise your hands. And I'm going to see it, and Pastor Dave's going to see it in the back. And we want to send you out with something. But if for the very first time you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One. Two. Let go of that plow. Three. Raise your hand. God, you the name above all names. We believe that you have no rival and no equal, that you are God and God alone, and that there is nothing in this world. There's no plow. There's no sin. There's no thing in our lives that can separate us from the love of Christ when we give ourselves over to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, his church woke up and said, 